Hello and welcome to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is John Keeley, and this is the 538th show of ROI. Our noted guest for today's show is Anne Finkbeiner, freelance science writer, who's going to talk to us about her blog post, what we've completely 100% changed our minds about. Joining us in the second segment of the show will be our history buffs, buffs, Brett Menard and Ed Broders. So to begin with, we would like to welcome our guest to the show, Miss Ann Finkbeiner. How are you doing, Ann? Um, just fine, thank you. We call this first segment of the show Fadruk Danarin, and our goal is to give our listeners a little background on today's subject. So can you start us off with some basic information on what made you explore this idea in the first place? So a couple months ago, this is what happened. A couple months ago, I was sitting on my front porch with my friend Christy, and she was talking about something that had happened. I don't remember exactly what it was, but as a result, she had changed her mind about it like 100%. And I got interested in that. I mean, there she was going along in her life, and all of a sudden she makes this U-turn. She makes this 180 And I wasn't sure why that was so interesting, and I thought I wanted to think about it some more. So Christy and I write for a science blog called The Last Word on Nothing, which kind of has the same general feel as ROI, to be honest. That's good. Um, So I I asked the other writers on the science blog um, whether they had things that they had completely 100% changed their minds about. And I thought if they all wrote me little paragraphs, I could um, line them all up and connect their dots and figure out why changing minds was interesting. And I could put it all in a blog. And I did. And the short answer is it didn't help. (laughs) So (laughs) meanwhile, K-A-L-A, it's a irrelevant or irrelevant program, got interested in the same question, but they knew why. They were, and here I'm putting minds and words in their mouths, uh, dismayed by the partisanship in this country, how everything is either good or bad or blue or red or choose a side and the people on the other side are the enemy. I'm dismayed about that too, and I think a lot of other people are too. KALA wondered if I might have any ideas about how people come to 100% completely change their minds. Well, I really don't. But I thought I would look at that blog post again, because it's all the data I have. Not that any reasoning scientist would call this data, but, you know, it's all we've got right now. So, first was Kate. Uh, one of the writers on the blog, she changed her mind about telling people that she was from New Jersey. She thought if she told them from she was she was from New Jersey that they would think, and this is her words now, that she was loud, tacky, caught up in organized crime, acrylic nails, hoop earrings, cannoli, bagels, and hairspray. And she wasn't. And then she moved. No. And well, <laughs> she 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 said fair enough. <laughs> 
I mean, no, I'm just kidding with that because I, I must admit it's, I think just a little suggestion before we go on um, about the hundred percent changes. Does it, a lot of this have to do with, I must admit the unfair uh, sometimes crammed on your throat stereotypes that go with them. Is that part of some things that you've discovered? No, no, really? No, she thought, I mean, that's no, I mean, that's not what people were saying. Um, she thought that people would think that, and then she moved away, and she got out of New Jersey, and after a number of years, she came to realize that she was good with being from New Jersey. <laughs> and she, she wrote, my New Jersey people are blunt and earthy and dazzlingly accessorized. We fight for what we care about. We bring the best desserts. So, you know, she moved away, and with a different perspective, she looked back and completely 100% changed her mind. Okay. Okay, so, so here's the next one, Emily. Uh, Emily didn't like engineers. Um, <laughs> she lived on a river, and engineers were going to dam the river and spoil it forever. And she thought, and these are her words, their heads are full of concrete and rebar and a stupid determination to build stuff just for the sake of building stuff. And then Emily went to graduate school, and because she loved rivers, she audited an engineering course on hydrology. And she saw that engineers could mathematically describe how a river behaved, its turbulence and its waves and its meanders. And she made friends with a few engineering students, and she liked them. And later, one of them asked her out, and she accepted. She still thought he was a little bit dense, but she loved that he understood rivers. And, reader, she married him. Uh, she mar- She likes dense engineers, then. She does. That okay, understand okay. rivers. Yes. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. There's a hundred percent change. Okay. That's a hundred percent change. Um, Christy, who was my friend sitting on the porch, asked her father what he had changed his mind about, and he said galaxies. He was an amateur astronomer who liked looking at bright stars, and he didn't like galaxies because they looked like dim smudges. So then he learned about a technique that you use to find galaxies called star hopping, where you locate one star and then you look sort of like higher up and to the right or something. And then you find the next one and then you use that one to locate the one after that. And then you use that one to locate the galaxy. He loved this star hopping, not because he could find galaxies so much, but because during the hops along the way, he'd find interesting things like colored stars or groupings of stars that he hadn't expected. And now he thinks that galaxies are worth looking for. Now there's more of those stories, but that's basically the data. I think it's obvious that most of them have in common you didn't like something for good reason, but then you got to know more about it and saw better sides of it, and you saw it had things to like, and you completely 100% changed your mind about it. Okay. Well, you know, that's not a blinding insight, is it? No. <laughs> we all know that already, don't we? Well, it, we, but, we know it, but few practice it. Well, so, but we're, what we're trying to figure out is what KALA wants to know. 
which is how we can become more bipartisan. So the answers those stories would give is also obvious. Meet some people you don't ordinarily meet and get to know them and see that they're not total idiots. And if you're kind to them and don't judge them, maybe they'll see you're not a total idiot either. Okay. Um, Emily, when she was talking about this, summed it up as acquiring a taste for bipartisanship through repeated exposure. Okay. And yes, it's a lovely idea, but I still didn't think it was terrifically interesting. Okay. We have a lot more to talk about, so would you please stay tuned for the next segment of our show? This is ROI on KELA, St. Ambrose University, 106.1 FM. In times of joy, in moments of grief, Broadcasters come through, even when all else fails. Today, with more ways than ever to experience the moments that transform our lives, Americans still choose broadcast radio and television more than all other media combined. We are the local broadcasters of radio and television. Reaching more people, touching more lives. Brought to you by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. Hello and welcome back to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is John Keeley and this is the second segment of our show referred to as The Kitchen Table. Our noted guest for today is Anne Finkbeiner, freelance science writer, and we'll be talking about... Um, her blog post that is titled what we've completely 100% changed our minds about the history buffs joining us for today's discussion are Brett Menard and Ed Broders and Brett, why don't you start us off? Gladly. So in your blog and in the examples you gave, uh, before the break, you gave examples of people changing their, minds for the positive. Do you think something similar is at work when people change their minds and something they used to really like or uh, admire is no longer admirable? I'm thinking of a number of people who changed their mind on uh, the intelligence of Elon Musk uh, from the time he was working on (laughs) rockets and electric cars to he became, you know, a uh, social media owner. Well, that's your that's your repeated exposure yeah. principle at work, isn't it? <laughs> you just get to know enough about somebody or something, and I mean, it's like you're always working with incomplete information, and you add more information, and pretty soon you can make up your mind better. Ed, what's your take on it? Well, the examples that she cited um, earlier in the show um, appears to me that the common thread would be that one has to at least consider the possibility that you don't know enough to have an opinion or that you're at least open to the possibility that you could be wrong. And it and it's all seems to me, too, that it's become the very American thing to do to have a very strongly held opinion about something you don't know the, a darn thing about, 
and to dig in one's heels and just kind of leave it at that. Did you guys come up yeah. with that, that you had a lot of them that just said tit for tat, that's it? Or was it more of, of evolving like you were saying before? Most of the little stories people were telling were this repeated exposure, and you learn more, more about it, and then you could have a different, you know, you could change your mind about it. But when Christy was summer, summing up what her father changed his mind about, this is how she said it. You hold what you know, but keep your mind open to see where that takes you. So you believe what you believe, but you listen to another person and you open your mind to that other person's possibilities. And the way I thought of it was he was sort of star hopping his way through people. And I think that's a lovely way to think about it. Yeah, that is. If you think about Kate's story about New Jersey, being from New Jersey, that's, that one is not about repeated exposure. That was about some kind of switch flipping in her mind. Like she was embarrassed by something, but then she got farther from it and saw it differently. Well, that happened to me once, and I was going to write it in a blog post, and I didn't. I grew up loving books, and I didn't like science. Um, and in college, I inadvertently tried the repeated exposure strategy and took required science courses. And they just confirmed me in my opinion that I didn't like science. And the people who did like it just didn't have the imagination to be novelists. So then one time, years later, I was driving from central Pennsylvania out to Ohio. And in central Pennsylvania, when you drive up the mountains, the lines in the rocks in the road cuts go up. And when you're driving down a mountain, the lines in the road cuts go down. And that made kind of sense, and I didn't think about it. But then I got out to western Pennsylvania, and the lines in the road cuts, regardless whether you're going up the mountain or down the mountain, the lines are flat, and they all line up with each other. They just flat level. And I had to think about that. And my thought was, why don't I know anything about the world? So it was like there was a switch that flipped in my mind. And I thought, I need to find out stuff about the world. And eventually, I became a science writer so I could do that the rest of my life. And isn't that a nice story? Yes. Yes. Uh, Brett. So I have to say, I'm as someone who roomed with a guy uh, from New Jersey in college, <laughs> I, I am amused at your story of uh, Kate's perception. My uh, beloved roommate, Chris, was certainly uh, loud and, and dedicated and boisterous, but didn't really uh, go for the hoop earrings or the uh, acrylic nails. Where was he from in Jersey, Brett? <laughs> Uh, Cherry Hill. Yeah, I knew I had friends. Cherry Hill. Yeah, go on with that, please. Yeah, South Jersey. Yes, he and, was. Uh, decided Whoa. to come to a college in the middle of Iowa. Um, so you talk about repeated exposure and incorporating new information as a way to change your mind. Um uh, do you have any suggestions for getting people to try new things other than 
the advice my mom gave me about eating vegetables, it's good for you, do it, you'll thank me later. No, I, I, I keep saying I, I, I don't understand this yet. I think it's interesting. I don't know why it's interesting. When I was trying to figure out, you know, what, what dots I could connect here, um, I, I, I decided that some of these stories, that you change your mind by, by repeated exposure and finding in it something you like or dislike. Or you can change your mind sort of more mysteriously, like some switch flips, and you see yourself and your possibilities differently. You, you change your mind in response to something exterior to yourself. Or you change your mind about who you are. And it seems to me, if you think about that for a minute, that if you do both of those things... You're, you're putting yourself in a good place in the world. So you're listening to other people. You're sort of star hopping from person to person and listening to them and, and taking in more information. But then you're also thinking that you are not somebody that's fixed. You know, you can, you can, you can switch. You can have that something switch and you can see yourself as a different person. What is your take on it that, I mean, but we are a different people constantly because we are in a changing world. We are in a world that is constantly revolving. And how do you take that those people, because we all know those individuals who are also incredibly set in their ways. And I always kind of consider them individuals that either paint themselves in a corner, that cliche, or box them in. But when I talk to these individuals, they say, no, that's not how they feel at all. They feel that they have a foundation of their thoughts, and that foundation is set. So how would you take it? Because I, a lot of the interpretation is some people would say, um, you know, determined and dedicated, and other people would say headstrong and kind of blinded by the facts. How would you take that? So you can change how you see the outside world, or you can change how you see yourself. And maybe if you can see yourself as somebody who just listens and doesn't need to argue or impose their views. Maybe you can see what you have in common. On the other hand, I, I don't, you know, I mean, I think about the people I know who are set in their beliefs and they're set in their beliefs. I'll tell you something that you might like that another one of the writers said. She said, this is a kind of a brilliant thing to extend to history because what are grand revolutions in human thought, if not a series of people changing their minds? So people do it, you know. Okay. I, I'm not sure how it maybe Maybe people change their minds when enough other people around them have changed theirs. Or situations have changed as well. Ed? Yes. Um, on, a, on a larger level, Anne, um, one of the things that I recently read was about how power of any kind is very all too infrequently used as a source of good and more often than not winds up as a force for evil um and 
a lot of that comes from people who are absolutely convinced of their own worldview. And there seems to be a fair amount of hubris that, that accompanies power. Can, can you talk about that? Yeah. Well, I don't have power, so um, I don't speak from personal knowledge. You're a guest on but... ROI. It is greatly increased <laughs> after today. <laughs> that She wasn't supposed to laugh um, at that. No, I'm kidding. Yes, you are supposed was... to laugh at that. <laughs> you noticed the rest of us didn't. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was talking this weekend to some friends, and they were talking about a guy they knew who is fairly famous, um, who was an excellent scientist in his field, just really, really good. But then he got out of his field, and he went off into politics. I mean, he really said stupid things. And they were saying, how could such a person who's so smart at one thing be so stupid at other things? And it's because he got out of his, he got out of what he was good at and into something he didn't know much about. And why did he still think he was good? And all I could think of was, and it came right out of my mouth, he got high on his own supply, right? So, yeah. So, you know, he just was so used to thinking of himself as as brilliant that anything he thought must be brilliant. I think that happens a lot. Brett. So you said you haven't quite figured it out. You're only working from a small data set of folks that you've talked to. What other kind mm-hmm. of stories would you like to have people share with you about changing their minds? Are there certain themes that you're more or less interested in, or is it just give me all the stories you can because I need data? Yeah. Well, I need data, and I'd like to see what those stories have in common. And so far, we just have, you know, two, two things. One of them is repeated exposure, the ex- repeated exposure tactic to change your mind, and the other one is you change, you change how you see the outside world, or you change how you see yourself. But I'd like to know if there are other kinds of changes. Ed, yes. Um, back in the 1980s, Bill Moyer did a series of interviews with a um, uh, an instructor from Notre Dame named Joseph Campbell, who was an expert. Uh, and the title of the book is called The Power of Myth. And Campbell says in that, is quoted as saying that all a myth needs to survive is a temporary suspension of disbelief. Is that in the mix here? Maybe a temporary suspension of your belief in your own rightness. You know, you think, well, I'm, I'm definitely right about this, and I've always thought it, but you know, maybe for a minute, I'm not right. Maybe I'll just consider that I'm not right. Maybe I'll consider I could even be wrong about this. Well, I'd like to say that we are at a very interesting period of time because we are still recovering from the COVID pandemic. And this was a an era where you had individuals through science and through government and through other agencies trying to cope with one of the biggest 
struggles of humanity, and that's a pandemic or plague. And when science, which has today been at its best than ever, came out with solutions or at least temporary solutions that seem to be working in the process of getting the greater um, goal accomplished as in trying to corner the virus, you had countless people totally disregard all the evidence and information they were giving. Uh, When you were talking about with your podcasters, did anybody reflect upon this? And uh, this is an answer open to the body, and then the segment of the show is going to end. Do you still see this being something of an issue in the next couple of years? Anne? Oh, geez, yes. I mean, (laughs) yes. I mean, it's the way people are these days. They're partisan. You have to, if somebody says wearing masks is good, and you don't like that person, you have to say wearing masks is bad. If somebody says this virus is airborne, and you don't like that person, you have to say, this virus, you know, was, I don't know what. So, yes, it's going to keep, yes. We're going to uh, keep this discussion for the podcast version. When we come back, we'll wrap things up for the radio version, so please stay tuned. This is ROI on KALA, St. Ambrose University, 106.1 FM. You're listening to Relevant or Irrelevant. This series is produced at St. Ambrose University's KALA Radio and has been honored by the Midwest Broadcast Journalists Association and the Iowa Broadcast News Association for excellence in public affairs journalism. You can hear this edition of ROI and many previous programs in this series by visiting Spotify, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, plus Apple Podcasts. ROI airs Friday nights at 9.30 p.m. on KALA HD2 and can also be heard at 106.1 FM in the Metropolitan Quad City area. You can stream this show every Friday night at TuneIn.com. Search for KALA HD2. This concludes the 538th show of ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant. Our producer and engineer is Dave Baker. Our program manager is Rick Sweet. And the theme song for our show, which is titled Kayla's Theme, was written and performed by Mark Zaptel. My name is John Keeley. We would like to thank our noted guest, Anne Finkbeiner, freelance science writer who talked to us about her blog post, What We've Completely 100% Changed Our Minds About. The History Buster Today Show are Brett Menard and Ed Broders. This is ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, on KALA. The views expressed on this show are not necessarily those of St. Ambrose University or KALA. We would like to wish all our listeners to experience the great Basutu proverb, Chotso Pulanala, peace, reign, and prosperity. And remember, historians are horrible fortune tellers. Good night. Good night.